Blog Talk Radio. Right now, 
Let's get started with our party, and the way we do this is we like to introduce to you our political analysts and panelists for today's program. Right now, we are bringing Brother Anthony and welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father Brother Anthony, we'll bring in now Brother Haki. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is <clears throat> Haki Kamati Mishoki, coming with African Awareness, and I'm all about institution building. Uh, you know, Brother Africa, recently I read an article uh, about the White House uh, blocking private um, information in terms of pertaining to white supremacists and their responsibility for all the race-based domestic terrorism in the U.S. since 2018. And this report goes on to say that White House not only aware of the statistics, but systematically eliminated funding and programs to combat white supremacist extremism. A report on domestic terrorism issued by New Jersey State Office of Homeland Security stated, quote, 25 of the 46 individuals allegedly involved in 32 different domestic terrorism incidents were identified as white supremacists, end quote. Interestingly enough, Brother Africa, despite the documented cases of stockpiling weapons by white supremacist terrorists, the government has not used the strategy of affiliating these terrorists with foreign influence. The omission of this effective strategy to isolate white supremacist terrorists suggests government had a vested interest in facilitating right-wing terror. Obviously, the, the Orange Menace attempt at discrediting white supremacist terror was a rule designed to distract from ruling class strategy to remain in control at all costs. So institutions in African Union have to address this fundamental question, this, this, this question in terms of you know the elephant in the room. What strategies, if any, are in place to deal with this implicit threat? Now, having said that, Brother Africa, one of the things that I think I'm going to point out is that Daryl Johnson, a federal intelligence agency 10 years ago, warned the U.S. government that um, the rise of white-wing um, uh, supremacy terrorists, terrorism. And for his troubles, he was fired. So clearly the impetus, in, in as far as the government's concerned, is to downplay the impact of uh, white-wing uh, supremacist terrorism for the sole purpose in terms of ensuring that it spreads in society. So clearly institutions are definitely needed. We must ask, answer that question, you know, what are we to do in terms of this background? Uh, and if we fail to, you know, to fundamentally address that question in terms of what we're going to do, it's only going to uh, exacerbate, you know, already miserable condition with so many African people in society. So institutions are extremely important, and I encourage people to get about the business of building those institutions because they are extremely important. And Brother Africa, again, I just want to thank you for having me on the program. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next one, Brother Haki. We bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. 
And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. It's a pleasure to have you, Brother Moses. All right, panelists, let's always um, get started with a party by talking about what's going on in your world in the community. we start off with you, Brother Anthony. Sure. A uh, couple of things. Um, uh, let's see. The U.S. is trying to intensify its attempt at uh, overthrowing the, uh, the democratically elected government of Venezuela, by, uh, by 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 blocking uh, uh, food from getting to Venezuela through the Panama Canal, and this is an intensification of its ongoing economic block, uh, blockade against Venezuela in order in order to try to starve the people into submission uh, to uh, you know to the uh, to, to the wishes of the U.S. government. Also, recently there was an uh, there was an attack on a mosque in Norway, and uh, this portends, uh, you know, uh, a dangerous pattern in which, uh, you know, in which uh, uh, Muslim institutions are attacked. In countries that have uh, predominantly uh, Euro-Christian uh, population, so uh, so people need to be aware and again organize in order in order to protect, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, you know their self-interest. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, a couple of things, Brother Africa. First, the African Awareness Association will be doing a solidarity tour to Cuba. And that trip takes place October 31st to November 6th. And for more information, we ask people to give us a call at 804-549-7492 or error code 202-714-9435. Or email us at African Awareness Association, or one word, number two, at gmail.com. So we encourage people to come to see Cuba for themselves firsthand to understand the relevance Cuba had in terms of the world struggle, you know, for humanity and decency. So we definitely encourage people to come. Now, the second thing about the Africa is, you know, I recently read an article about the fact that the the, the American public is over leveraged. I mean, they're spending a tremendous amount of money, which is which doesn't have to exist. But anyway, in any event, according to the Market Watch, the American Bankruptcy Institute reported bankruptcies in 2019 increased from 62,241 a year earlier to 64,283 currently. The situation is more grim when taking into account bankruptcy violence in 2019. Thus far, 452,797, up from 450,568 a year earlier. Now, the region hit the hardest is the southern states, which has implications for right-wing terrorism. Now, environmental stress like access to food, paying rent, et cetera, makes for a more precarious existence, thereby creating an environment where people are more susceptible to systemic propaganda. Now, I should point out that the Orange Minister uh, uh, tariffs um, will impose additional stress on these same populations. Uh, specifically, when we talk about food, uh, one of the things that we've got to understand is that the food availability for lots of people in America is becoming increasingly more problematic. In fact, over the last four months, consumers paid an additional $1.3 billion just for food, which is a direct result of the tariffs implemented by the Orange Menace. 
It is safe to assume that many are reaching a breaking point and might participate in right-wing terrorism in a misguided attempt to overcome systematic injustice. The implicit threat is real, and the only question we have to ask ourselves is, can this threat be avoided? So I think we have to ask ourselves, because the threat is so palpable, uh, can it be avoided? And if it can't be avoided, the question is, what are we going to do as community in terms of saving ourselves? So I think it's very important that we understand a lot of the maneuvering, a lot of the positions that just the orange minutes take uh, uh, doesn't bode well in terms of the economy and has devastating impact for the citizens inside this country. Unfortunately, when people are angry, that anger gets displaced. Someone has to carry. Someone has to catch the, catch the brunt of that anger. So the people who are most uh, the people who are most powerless tend to be the most people who are victimized. So we got a fundamental problem in society in terms of, you know, the potential of being victimized by a lot of angry individuals, simply because they simply don't understand how the system operates. So we got to work hard for us, and I encourage people to get about the business in terms of understanding fully what the society means. And, and the kind of policies that are active and the impact it has on our community. Thank you, Brother Haki. Let's go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your community, in your will, in the community? Well, we're still feeling the the shock waves of the ICE raids in Mississippi on the immigrants um, and the work, the workers in the, the various chicken processing plants uh, um, and leaving children, leaving, stripping the parents away from children, children coming home from school with no, nowhere to go. And uh, it just uh, uh, shows the insensitivity and humanity of, of the Trump administration. Um, um, also, Let's see, the Venezuela, we, Venezuela, there was a demonstration entirely around demonstrate, uh, uh, Venezuela, uh, and the U.S. attempts for regime change in Venezuela. Uh, I guess that's about it for right now. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Palace, you know, recently today I was looking at a um, Bill Maher show. And he asked his panelists a question, and the question was, what is driving and what is creating um, this situation where American people are becoming so hostile and willing to just you know, kill people in mass? What is, the, what is the condition? What is the basis of that? And for some reason or another, the panelists really couldn't answer that. I would like for y'all to share with the listening audience in the world, what is your perspective on this question? What is it that created and allowed the foundation to create such hostile behavior among, particularly among the young folks today, as relates to uh, these racist mass killings? Start with you, Brother Anthony. You'd like to start us off with that discussion? Sure. I think uh, I think it's a combination of several factors. One is the fact that uh, that uh, the uh, the economy. Uh, the economic conditions of the masses of people in the U.S. is deteriorating. And uh, people that have invested heavily to get a college education are finding that they, uh, that they have a hard time finding jobs once they get their degrees. And, uh, and, uh, stay, and going on to grad school does not alleviate that problem. 
and also at and also uh and also it's a, another factor is the overall crisis of capitalism in and uh and and the thing about it, and the thing about it though is getting to a point where uh workers can no longer afford to buy what they produce and uh that leads to frustration and uh and and people and uh and people lash out at those who are, who are easy targets and uh those are primarily the one uh the, the the working poor who do not have the resources or level of organization to defend themselves against an attack and also the ease with which firearms uh, if you have the money, are obtained inside the U.S. And it's uh, kind of like a uniquely U.S. sort of problem. Uh, granted, there are people who uh, uh, who have uh, mental issues and anger and frustration in other parts of the world, but you do not hear of the level of mass shootings that take place inside the U.S., so I think those are the three biggest factors that contribute to the level of violence we're seeing inside the U.S. presently. Brother Hatke, give us your perspective on this question, as well as do you think there'll be any kind of significant changes in these activities if they have stricter gun laws? No, not not really. I, I don't think stricter gun laws is going to change the uh, change the, the, problem, the fundamental problem. I think what happens if you got rid of the guns, people use other means in terms of killing one another. Because one of the things we, and, and Brother Anthony underscored, it was the kind of frustration that exists in the society. Uh, one of the things we talk about the economic deprivation that is impacting so many society. I mean, they actually have a class of people who we understand who never find a job, irrespective of their education in America. So we refer to them as the precarious class. And these are people irrespective of how educated they are, how much education they have, it doesn't matter. If they're not connected, if they don't have access to people who have access to jobs, they're not going to find any jobs. So the best they can do is hope to create one and make some money. Uh, but there's certainly not enough money in terms of being able to be productive, in terms of being able to live decently, being able to eat well, and being able you know, to take care of household. So clearly there is a lot of uh, economic insecurity that exists in society. But that's part and parcel in terms of how capitalism works. One of the things we have to understand is when we talk about um, when we talk about growth in terms of capitalism, you got to understand that we get to a certain point in which growth is no more. Because the fundamentally what happens is that when you have a small sector of people having access to over, to the majority of the wealth, it means that growth is simply impossible. It can't grow. In order for you to have growth, then those people who have access to all that wealth have to spread it around and turn and go to the system where you have the multiplier effect, which actually increases and enhances the economy. Well, people in positions of power are not willing to do that because for them, the essence of life is all about the power and control. And so, therefore, giving up any of that wealth is the equivalent of giving up power and control. They're not going to do that. And so, therefore, they made a choice. And now, in just in terms of the political dimensions, Brother Africa, you know, one of the things we understand that earlier, you know, I talked about the fact, um, you know, the kind of complicity in terms of you know, concealing you know, white supremacist terror in America. One of the things I didn't point out was that, you know, uh, William Barr, the former um, uh, district, the former um, DA, excuse me, um, French, French, I'm excuse me, another world here, the former Attorney General of the United States, 
uh, he actually denied Congress access to the information detailing, you know, the rise of white supremacy and the, uh, white supremacy terrorism in American society. So in denying Congress that information, in denying Congress the, even the opportunity to even strategize in terms of what can we do in terms, at least at a very minimum, minimize the number of people who are actually going to be killed as a result of white wing, uh, white supremacist terrorism. Uh, so clearly, you know, we have this, this, this political dimension in terms of the problem. But I think overall, Brother Africa, I, I, I think that one of the things we, we have to underscore, and I think it's important people understand this, is that because capitalism is in decline, because it's in retreat, then they, those positions of power have no other recourse but to facilitate uh, tactics or strategies which ensure maximum amount of chaos. Because as long as you keep the chaos going, as long as you keep people killing one another, then what that means is that people get distracted. So people, people's attention is not focused on those who are the puppet masters, those who are actually responsible for the stress and, and, and injustice, but tend to, as a, but tend to stress more in terms of problems with, with others that they perceive as a problem. So in this case, we have a situation where you talk about people perceiving immigrants as a problem. Some of you know, where the immigrants are taking our jobs, immigrants are doing this, immigrants are doing that. Of course, it's all a subterfuge. None of it has any reality in terms of what's really going on in society. But working class people tend to blame Mexicans or, or people from Central and South America for their, for the economic problems and not understand there's a system in place to make sure that you're going to have access to work, to make sure you have access to meaningful employment, to make sure you have access to quality education. So this is all part of uh, the, the, the capitalist strategy because they understand that because it's, the, the, the economy is, the system is in decline, they understand that they have to resort to all these very arcane kinds of measures just to, in an attempt to, to maintain control and dominance. Of course, it's not going to it's not going to succeed. They're going to ultimately history says they're going to fail. But they're because they're very, very arrogant and they suffer from hubris. Their position is that you know, okay, we can win if we just kill enough the correct number of people, then we can prevail. Well, despite the number of people that you kill, uh, it's not going to change history. History has its own logic. It has its own course. So you can kill lots of people, but it's not going to, going to stop the inevitable, which is the decline of global capitalism. So the, the people in positions of power are threatened, and so therefore they utilize these strategies of pitting one against the other for the sole purpose of creating maximum uh, chaos. And so it's part of a broader strategy. And this is what we have to stand. And for those people who are unorganized, who are ill-informed, who do simply don't understand what's going on in society, uh, they actually enhance the possibility that they would be, upon those numbers, would be liquidated, who would be actually killed as a result of you know this mass rage that we find ourselves you know confronted with in society. So clearly, you know, uh, this dangerous strategy employed by the ruling class is something that we all must be concerned about. But specifically, African community must be concerned about this, understanding the nature of the ball game. And if we don't understand the nature of the ball game, then I'm afraid. You know that it's 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 going to be uh, it's going to be horrific. So we got a lot of work to do, a lot of understanding, a lot of reading, a lot of discourse, you know, around what's going on, and getting things seriously in terms of how we're going to protect ourselves against this potential onslaught, uh, which is you know um, uh, you know governmental or or the elite policy uh, strategy. And brother Moses, what's your take on? This question why we have or why this country has a large problem of people being violent, particularly youth, in terms of killing masses of people. What is the conditions for that? Why why is it such a high rate, particularly among young folks acting out in this capacity? Well, 
first of all, I agree with everything that's been said so far. Uh, basically, it is a problem of capitalism uh, um, uh, and of availability of, of weapons, which is part of the capitalist system to profit drive. People's lives are not as important as selling these mass destruction weapons uh, in order to make profit. And so it's all part of the capitalist system. The, the system is on a decline, and, and uh, the relations of production, uh, the property relationships, the ownership of the means of production are, have become feathers, uh, impediment on the productive forces. Uh, the people need to be reorganized in terms of how we 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 produce goods and services in this country, and we need a socialist organization uh, that spreads the wealth around. And this this is a problem. This alienation of of of, uh, of the workers uh, and and people feel that feel this this uh, lack of holes 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 wholeness and humanity and they they get displaced aggression putting this putting these feelings onto other groups as the ruling class tries to scapegoat um people of color and and immigrants uh people who are, are from other countries are, are there's a xenophobia of of their their against we have an interest that is opposed to their interest and and it's not true and so we all desire food clothing and shelter and and a, and a healthy life and and so we need we need a reorganization of society that's the bottom line uh, this 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 system of, of profit driven uh, money is is the key to everything, uh, uh, and and money is the driving force uh, in terms of even even who gets weapons and who doesn't get weapons. It's all about profit, and uh, and the who gets killed is is irrelevant. Uh, uh, they pay lip service to to this this uh, problem, but there's no real solution being being uh, offered uh, um, the Democrats and the, and the Republicans you know really don't have a, a, a program that is that is interested in, in giving power back to the people and uh, this is the problem and and you know there's just zip services that band-aids on cancer otherwise uh, thank you very well done so far. What we're going to do right now, this is Africa on the Move. I'm your host, Brother Africa. We're going to pause for the calls. And when we come back, we will continue the discussion on what's going on in your world, in the community. And you can feel free to call in at 323-679-0849. So let's pause for this calls, and we'll be right back. Black man, you're an African. 
Africa. 
got to fight, 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 fight against imperialism. We got to fight, 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 fight against capitalism. We got to fight, 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 fight against Zionism. We got to fight, 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 fight against neoglorism. We got to fight, 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 fight against racism. We got to fight against all systems that exploit human beings and oppresses, oppresses them. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. We will continue our dialogue on a segment, What's Going On in Your World and the Community. We're talking about what are the conditions that are allowing the attitude, particularly among young folks, to do this mass killing and to attack people who have never done anything to them. And I'd like to continue the discussion with my analysts and panelists right now because when we talk about this narrative about what's going on in the U.S., around this whole, these, these whole tendencies of racist behavior and killing and, and attacking people for no reason, one of the things I'd like to raise with the panelists to get y'all response to it is that many times when they ask the question, what is the conditions for this, People don't do an analysis on the role of the media. They don't do analysis on the role of the prison administration. They don't do analysis on the role and function of the educational institution. And they don't do analysis on the whole reality that this behavior manifests itself from the original development of this country. Panelists, your response to what is the relationship between what's going on as it relates to these terrorist behavior by people in the U.S. and who are really corporate, who is really responsible for allowing these kind of behavior to display. What is the relationship between the media, the education system, the prison administration, and just understand the origin of the birth of this country? Start with you, Brother Haki. Can you show a connection between these various institutions and are they as guilty and part of the corporate or creating these scenarios? that encouraging and forcing and creating people to act out in an irresponsible way. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, of course, uh, one of the things which is so important in terms of the trip to going to Cuba is understanding the role of the institutions. And one of the things we've been trying to do for a long, long time is to get the people to understand the relationship between institutions and how people behave. You know, for instance, you talk about education. One of the things, you know, when we talk about an economic system that is fundamentally flawed, we talk about an economic system which fundamentally benefits the, the, the few at the expense of the many. And, of course, when you go to school and you learn economics, no one ever talks about the fact that the system is fundamentally skewed in favor of those who are powerful and wealthy. But if you go back and you look at the history in terms of America, one thing is very, very clear. The so-called founding fathers represented the creme de la creme or the cream of the crop, you know, of, uh, of American society. They were the landowners. They were the ones with all the wealth. And so, therefore, everything that was done was in, in furtherance of their own interests. It wasn't done for the interests of the working people. It was done for the interests of the wealthy. So, historically, we understand that when we talk about in terms of disparities that exist in society, then we understand the disparities is the direct result in terms of the philosophies that, that guide the development of the American, American country, of American society. So clearly, uh, you know, when we, when we talk about institutions and we talk about in terms of this kind of anger, one of the things is that, you know, in America, one of the things that's, that's, that's very prominent is that things often define you as a human being. Well, anytime you're, you're defined in terms of things as a human being, then obviously if you don't have access to material things, then what that means? Fundamentally, that means that you're nobody. And so, therefore, how you get treated is of no consequence 
because you're nobody. And when you look at an instance, even something as simple as buying a car, you look at the kind of um, uh, disingenuous nature of, 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 of your, car, car, your car salesman. When they, buy, they sell you a, a car, which they know, for instance, they may well be, uh, you know, uh, in, 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 you know, has a warranty on it's about to expire. But as opposed to telling you that, they don't tell you that. But they won't, on, they won't honor the, the warranty by getting a car fixed. They'll sell it to you, knowing full well that the car is going to, uh, the warranty is going to expire. Well, the additional costs uh, apply, to, of course, additional costs apply to the person who buys the car. The car salesman gets off with a commission. Well, uh, to, to to that individual, to those individuals, uh, the impact in terms of, particularly in terms of economics, on those people who buy those cars uh, is no consequence whatsoever. So they don't care the fact that this, you may have imposed additional stress on people. Who, because of because of uh, but the financial situation, not in a position in the first place, to take on increasing amounts of debt. But by buying an effect a car that's in fact a lemon, then what happens is that they have to fix that car, and because their finances are not there, it poses more stress on them. But the mere fact that you pose stress on them is no consequence because they are poor people. Now, if they were anybody, if they were wealth, if they were worth anything, they would have money, which means they could buy a brand new car. They don't have to go through the trials and tribulation of buying a used car. So clearly, this is this is great in terms of the American mindset. In terms of some people are some people are important, some people are not. Some people's lives are extremely important. Some people's lives are esoteric. So we have this dichotomy in American society as well as throughout the West, which says that you know your value is based upon material things, and that's totally crazy. Uh, last thing, Brother Africa, I, I think that you know one of the things when we talk about. Uh, the role in terms of in terms of you know econ- economics in society. Uh, one of the things, you know, often we talk about the central bank, and uh, what people don't understand when we talk about the the, the the central bank or the Federal Reserve. Essentially, what we're talking about this is not this is not a government this is not a government entity. This is probably owned by wealthy people. In fact, it's seven wealthy individuals who own the the central bank in America. So this is money. So, so all the policies they made are geared toward enriching those who have access to money. None of the things that they do does anything in terms of actually disseminating that wealth in terms of making it more equitable, make, making it possible for people to have more access to more to more and more wealth. Uh, if you're not among the 10% of the, the investor class, then reality is that what the Federal Reserve does does nothing in terms of empowering your life. On the contrary, it takes from your life because what happens is that they create ingenious ways in terms of making sure that they transfer wealth fundamentally from the poorest people in society to wealthiest people in society. So we talk about the function of interest rates in terms of there's nothing more than a, a genius way in terms of transferring money from the poorest people to the wealthiest people. That's all it is. When we talk about in terms of um, uh, uh, rent, rent-seeking individuals, when they hold, 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 control large uh, uh, areas of land and properties, and we talk about in terms of fundamentally being able to raise, you know, uh, the rents on those properties on a yearly basis, irrespective of the fact that people simply don't have money to keep on keeping up with these increases in terms of for rent or mortgage, what have you. So clearly, uh, the benefits are to again to accrue to the to people who have access to wealth, those people who have power. So clearly, the people who are, who don't have access to wealth or power, then what means? that all these economic movements, you know, by the Federal Reserve, because it doesn't do anything in terms of empowering your life, it disempowers you. And so, therefore, people are angry, miserable, and upset. And historically, one of the things that's always happened in America is that, you know, at some point people begin to recognize that they're getting short in the stick. And so then they revolt. 
then you have revolutions. Well, the, the ruling class will learn a very valuable lesson. Well, in order for us to prevent this revolution from happening, what we must do, and this is back in, back in the 17th century, what they must do, they must pit one group against the other. Henceforth, the importance of racism, why racism is extremely important in the context of global capitalism. It's why, the reason why you see it happening all throughout the world, because they understand you know, uh, racism has such an such a, a emotional quality to it you know, that people buy into it because it's simply easier to believe that there are some people better than others based upon you know, their, their understanding of, of humanity. So clearly the economic factor is, is, is an issue that uh, downplays the, the, the importance in terms of, you know, all human life. And so, Delvin, until we understand fundamental reality, and we acquiesce, we participate in this propaganda that we must constantly be fed without necessarily understanding that this is propaganda and designed to elicit a certain kind of behavior from us, namely uh, create conditions where we continue to kill each other, where poor people specifically continue to kill each other, why the, why the wealthy continue to benefit. Brother Anthony, your analysis between the road that the media, the present administration, the educational system, how do you relate in creating scenario, this scenario allowing this kind of craziness to, to continue to exist? Okay, well, start with the educational system. Uh, let's see. Uh, people who are subject, who are who, who are educated in the uh, U.S. educational system, are taught that the U.S. is the land of the free, humble, the brave, etc. But the thing about it, though, what is not taught, and is seldom explained, is that the U.S. is one is one of the largest settler colonies in the world. And that they, and that the U.S. amassed its wealth and power by stealing other people's land, specifically the land of the indigenous people. And uh, and during the uh, and during the war with Mexico in the, during the 19th century, the U.S. took two thirds of uh, Mexico's land, so that the so-called uh, the the so-called immigrants. Uh, that uh, that uh, you know that 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 have been being characterized are, are are nothing more than the indigenous people of this land, and when the indigenous people controlled this land, they migrated freely from place to place based upon the social economic conditions that existed at that time. And also, what is not uh, uh, what is really taught is that uh, the media ne- never explains that it is U.S. policy that created the conditions that are causing uh, people to want to uh, to want to leave uh, uh, the uh, the countries they live in in search of food, clothing, and shelter. And uh, and peaceful conditions in which to raise their families. And uh, the Trump, uh, the current administration plays a role in this, uh, in the fact that actually uh, uh, the the uh, Trump built his career playing uh, uh, pitting against uh, one group of people against another. In other words, using racism 
in order in order to amass, uh, to amass his fame and, and in addition to his wealth. And Brother Moses, when you look at the fabric that make up this country in terms of its values, it has values that manifest itself in today's society, which which is the cause creating chaos. It pushes issues like individualism. It look at people as a means to an end. It's saying the only thing, the most important thing in your life, should only be is, is making a dollar. Don't care how you do it, but get a dollar. It has no problem uh, 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 killing human beings at the expense of others, in particular for a few others. I mean, speak to the values of this country and how that plays into the chaos that people are living out today, Brother Moses, from your perspective. Yes, this is true. Uh, everything that's been said has been true, the truth, the gospel. And and um, this, this country, you know, is founded on, on the property class, you know, and it's been protecting its interests at the expense of the of the masses of people, uh, and it's yes, why the rich keep getting rich and the poor keep getting poor because that these relationships that uh, uh, that have been institutionalized and uh, have not changed. Uh, um, there has been no no real qualitative change in in the relationship of of the ruling class to the the oppressed people, uh, to, to, and like, so we have a situation where 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 we need we need a, a more humanitarian government. Uh, uh, we need people who are ideologically taught that people count and that money is secondary to people. That money is a useful tool. But that people are what what makes the world go round, and it's really about people that that should be the fundamental basis of of, of the system as, and, and justice and fair play. And uh, so this situation will continue until there is some kind of revolution. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, uh, uh, was it the uh, the, who is the FC or something? The the man that was in prison that they say committed suicide. He was trafficking uh, women to the ruling class and and the elite uh, money people in society. Uh, you know, they, they, that's another example of inhumanity and uh, how money and profit driven system. Exploits people and uh, and dehumanize them. Uh, Trump, Trump has always been a uh, uh, a racist and uh, continues to be a racist, and he gives lip service to white supremacy and stuff. But uh, but you know he's fundamentally done nothing to change. Uh, I'm, I'm a rambling one. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Yeah, brother, brother Africa, brother Africa, brother Africa, brother Africa. Yes. Let me let me just briefly mention something in terms of, you know, the uh, role media plays in terms of facilitating, you know, a lot of propaganda. 
uh, one of the things is that we understand, um, you know, there is a relationship uh, between, you know, intelligence communities and a lot of these, these publications. For instance, the Washington Post uh, is, is deeply embedded, you know, with the, with the CIA and FBI. Uh, in the UK, the Guardian, which was told it was a very good paper, is now because of the relationship with the MI one, MI sorry, MI five and MI six, uh, it's not so much a, a great newspaper that it historically had been. Uh, the situation in terms of Al Jazeera, uh, one of the things that happened was that Al Jazeera did great reporting, you know, five ten years ago. Well, what happened was that a very a, a, a number of rich individuals decided to buy Al Jazeera to make sure. The content of that paper would change, so Al Jazeera is no longer what it was five or ten years ago, but now it's a propaganda wing, you know, for the world. Uh, you know, so clearly, you know, when we talk about, you know, um, you know, just the uh, the role of the media, we got to understand that people in positions of power understand quite well that getting getting people to think what they want them to think is so key. Media is indispensable in terms of carrying out that strategy in terms of essentially whitewashing people's ability to think. So as long as people can't think critically about the issue because they don't have the correct information, then they're much easier to control. Now, thank goodness there are alternative press in which if you really want to understand what's really going on, they have alternative press. So if you, if you tune into alternative press and you read alternative, alternative press, then you have a, good, a better understanding in terms of what's going on. But even in that context, you've got to be careful because even now the right, the, the right wing have learned, you know, that because people rely on the alternative press, even a lot of articles you read in terms of alternative press are paid for, you know, by intelligence communities you know, for the sole purpose of making sure people don't arrive at a correct understanding in terms of any particular uh, social or political phenomenon. So clearly, you know, the role of media is one that's, 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 that's I mean, that's, that's well stated. There are numerous books on, on, on the situation. Norm Chomsky did a very good book uh, on terms of the role of the media. Uh, there are many, many books out there in terms of the deception and the duplicity involved with, with, with media. So people have to understand, first and foremost, that what you read, particularly when it comes to mainstream media, 90% of it is BS. And you have to fundamentally understand that. So when you look at it, you have to understand in the mind. So for anybody who tuned into Fox News and actually think that they're going to tell you anything of any real substance or anything that's legitimate, uh, you know, I got a bridge in Brooklyn for sale. So if you want to buy the bridge, give me a call, and I'll be more than happy to sell it to you. You know, so clearly, you know, the role of media is, is a big is a big one in terms of you know current out propaganda, and one of the reasons why people are, are are so quick in terms of you know committing these 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 these, these browsing crimes where you where you you engage in a mass murder is because the media consistently gives them a diet of well, listen, these people are the enemy. These people are a threat to your way of life. These people are not American. And so, therefore, their, their liquidation or the killing of them is certainly justifiable. So, clearly, the media plays a big role in that, and we understand that. And if we, and if we don't understand that fundamentality, then we continue to be duped by media, which is no more, and particularly in America, it's more than the propaganda wing of the U.S. government. You know, Brother Hackey and Pamis, you made me think of this story where a friend of mine who's an educator. He just recently shared his story to me when he went to a workshop down in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, about a week ago. And he made a statement, I think it's a reflection of what educators are dealing with or intellectuals, anybody who basically live under the capitalist system that that um, they are dealing with. And that is, he's told me that he talked to one of the presenters who was, on a, who was doing a workshop down there, 
He said, everybody can tell you what the problem is, but no one want to talk about addressing the solution. And he asked one of the presenters, what is the solution to these problems? Why don't he talk about the solution aspect of our problems? And the presenter told him, said, listen here, bro, I got to eat. What do y'all make of that response? Uh, actually, it's symptomatic of uh, capitalism. And that is that uh, it, that is that the media is useful for pointing out the contradictions in uh, you know in capitalist society, but in in terms of a solution, uh, the, uh, the 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 intellectuals are empty because they're paid by capitalist forces, and the solution to the problem. Entails liquidating capitalism And so that's why uh, You know A lot of these uh, Conferences uh, And workshops Don't deal with solutions Because It ends up It ends up being a critique of capitalism And therefore A threat to the ruling Bourgeoisie and therefore, and and uh, and that's what uh, that gentleman meant when saying he has to eat. In other words, in other words, protecting his source of income uh, supersedes everything else. And uh, that is the problem with a lot of our intelligentsia. They're in the pockets of the ruling class, and therefore they cannot offer. Uh, uh, real solutions, uh, you know, to, uh, to the problems we're facing. Yep, they, you know, he, you know, he pretty much encapsulates the mindset of people, you know, who position is that in order for them to make it in society, they have to play ball. And to some extent, capitalism does a good job in terms of facilitating that. If you don't play ball, then you lose your job. I mean, that's just where the game is played. Uh, unfortunately, though, you know, one of the things that, you know, when you talk about solutions for the Africa, you don't have to talk about formal solutions. You don't have to talk about what the system per se itself can do in terms of bringing about a real change. You can create that outside of the system, and that's what gets me about a lot of these, these bourgeois, you know, the bourgeois scholars. Uh, they seem to, seem, to, seem to think that, you know, the, the formal game or participation in the system is the only uh, game in town. But in fact, if you simply use your, your resources and use your intellect, in terms of outside of the system, in terms of organized community to get the things done that your children need, then, then the way the system functions becomes negligible. But unfortunately, you know, uh, a lot of them really believe that I got to toe the line, and they do. They toe the line, even to the extent where you see these police officers at these schools. You know, it's, it's you know, uh, you know, it seems to me as educators, one of the things that you don't want to do is create a condition to children which they feel intimidated. But the mere fact that you have off police officers in schools, in these, in these African schools, speaks volumes in terms of the kind of the kind of complexity that exists among the, 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 the teaching professional staff at these schools and their inability to stand up and say, "Listen, I have to advocate on behalf of the children because I'm an educator, so I must advocate on behalf of the children. I must raise the question in terms of, do we really need these officers in the school? What message are we sending to these children? Uh, do we, is another way of doing things." You can say that. Those things are non-threatening. So those things you can articulate without necessarily losing your job. Of course, there's no guarantee, uh, according to 
of course, there are those individuals in the system who are very sensitive to any kind of critique of the system, and there may well be enough to get you fired because you dare say that you don't need police officers in the school. But clearly, I think it's, 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 a, it's a real dilemma, you know, for our community, uh, because as long as we continue to acquiesce in terms of our own oppression, then we can't realistically expect, you know, the situation to change. And this is the paradox we find ourselves in. Uh, earlier, I talked about uh, Daryl Johnson, the former intelligence analyst. When he talked about 10 years ago, when he talked about the fact that, you know, uh, that, that 10 years ago now, he talked about the fact that, um, that, that white supremacist terrorism was on the rise and it's going to be an issue for the, in the near future. He said that 10 years ago. Well, his, the response from those positions of power was to do what? To fire him. Why? Because their position is that those, those, those elitists, uh, those individuals who operate the system, those who are part of the system, uh, that deep state, those individuals' position is that, you know, uh, terrorism is vital to our strategic interests. We want people killing one another because that makes it possible for us to achieve what we want to achieve, namely, you know, grab much power, much wealth as we possibly can. And so, therefore, we want terrorism. So clearly there's a price to pay when you stand up and say, you know, uh, you know uh, when, you, when, you give, when you give voice to a solution in terms of what's, what's going on. But one thing I would have to say in terms of these workshops, you know, and I just remember being in one workshop where we were, um, the brother invited me to a workshop with police officers from around the state. Oh, that was very interesting. Uh, but anyway, uh, and so they had the people come in. But the thing is that these, these people came in, most of them were shocked. I mean, they won't pull in, in they won't pull in, in, I mean, they won't pull in their punches. They were saying exactly how the system operates and what it does. And they would tell you, the system isn't broken. It's designed to operate this way, and they were very, they're very candid about their position. But of course, most of them had already worked 40, 30, 40 years, and so therefore they weren't getting care. They got fired because they were set for life. They were set, you see, in terms of pension or in terms of, you know, uh, social security, so forth and so on. So they didn't care. They were very, they were very direct, and I suspected that the brother invited them because he understood that they, they couldn't be intimidated, and they're going to speak, you know, forthrightly in terms of what the problem is in terms of what we can do in terms of our way of solution. So I, I think that it is a fundamental problem in terms of what we're going to do as, as a people, as a community, because as long as we acquiesce, as long as we continue to play that game, that, you know, pursuit of that, that, that material thing, materialism is more important than truth, then our community suffer, our children suffer. So we can't really expect our children to do well if we are part of a process to ensure that, you know, the intelligence of our children are undermined. So we got we got to ask ourselves, in all honesty, you know, is what I'm doing in the interest of our children, or I'm simply selling my children out? We have to ask ourselves those questions. You know, brother Moses and the panelists, before we go on our break and deal with that thing tonight, um, brother Hockey just made me think of something, and we're putting this out for the listening world. You know, our, our youth today, uh, particularly the real young ones. We have them in a real, real vulnerable position, a confusion. And I'm saying this. They have seen police officers kill their neighbors, kill some of their family members, and kill many people that look like them. And the next day they have to go into an institution that we call schools, and these institutions tell our African youth that they are their friends. What do y'all think is going on, going, taking place in the mind of our youth today when they have to deal with these, these, this reality? Saying something 
on one hand, they're not good, they know it's bad. But on the other hand, you try to get them to believe something that um, the people who are doing this to them or to their family is is their friend. What kind of impact do you think that is having on that youth today? Well, we need, we need a, uh, to fight the system. We need to speak truth to power, and we need to educate our youth about what what the real system is and how it works. And the school systems generally don't do that. The school systems are, are, are there to maintain the status quo and to produce workers for the status quo. And so, you know, uh, some of these organizations, these NGO organizations, and, and uh, uh, do good organizations. You know, they 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 help with some of the symptoms of the problem, and they try to, you know, get in there and 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 alleviate some of the symptoms of the problem. But they won't tell you what the real solution is, and they will. They won't be advocating the real solution as they deal with the temporary needs of the day-to-day struggle. And so, you know, some some of these organizations actually think they can solve the world's problems and make a profit while doing it. You know, that's that's the bottom line. Uh, uh, they, they, some of these organizations are, 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 you know, have a little business-like profit-driven system, and. and uh, and we need people who who will struggle against the system and point out point out that the system is the problem. And so until that happens, you know, we can see the youth being alienated and uh, misdirected. Uh, thank you, brother. After we got a youth. Yes. Seeing what's taking place in reality, or how police officers are killing people who look like them, some of them may be even their family members. But at the same time, they have to walk into an educational institution called school, and these schools are telling them these are their friends. How do we protect the well-being and the well-development of our of our youth minds today? How do we deal with that dichotomy? Ashley. Um we, we've got a set of institutions that are teach our youth the truth because what the what the educational system is doing is spreading confusion by doing that, spreading confusion and also disillusionment and distrust. And, uh, and the thing, and, and, the th- and if, um, and if the school system does not provide the tools for youth necessary, then Africans have to supplement what uh, what what, uh, what was being taught to their children in school with a, with an education that will teach them the truth, and that takes extra time and extra and, and, and a lot of work, but it is absolutely necessary. We have to organize ourselves. In order to in, in in order to educate our our people, especially our youth, as to the uh, as to the truth of our situation, especially with regards to the police, because uh, the signals that, that 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 the youth are getting are spreading confusion, 
as well as disillusionment and distrust of uh, adults in general, in addition to the police. And uh, so, uh, so, 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 uh, thing about it, we have to uh, uh, organize among ourselves in order to educate our youth. Brother Haki, why aren't we protecting our youth more today in terms of fighting the psychological warfare or trying to find who are our friends, who are our enemies? We tell our youth, believe in our teachers, listen to them. And the teachers are telling them the police is their friend. While at the same time, the youth see for their, their own eyes, they have encountered the opposition of that particular position. So how do we deal with that, Brother Haki? How do we protect our kids a lot more better in terms of um, dealing with this, this, this contradiction? Well, you know, Brother Africa, I, I think the only way you can realistically protect the children is you have to, you have to, to some extent, you have to give them the truth. Um, you know, uh, I understand for a lot of people, you know, that's a very uh, difficult decision to make because one of the things once once you buy into this class argument, once you start thinking, you know, that uh, the things in in life is what defines a human being, then you're less likely to do anything that's going to threaten the opportunity to get some things. And so, therefore, no one wants to lose their job. So the kids, the interests of the children become less important. But I think we have to take a long-term view in terms of what the interests of the children. So one of the things is that when you sit there and you tell the children that those people who kill your, your, your family members, who kill people that look like you, who kill people who live in your neighborhood, simply because of the color of their skin, you tell them that you're, they're your friends, then you lose a certain amount of credibility with a lot of those children. Because in their minds, they're sitting there listening to you say that, and they're saying, well, whoa, 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 that can't be right. These guys killing, disrespecting, you know, beating up people, you know, because of the color of skin, and, and and you say, you know, they have my best interests at heart. So in the kids' minds, and the teachers also a liar, and so that sort of sabotages or sort of undermines the case, you know, for for education. So I think that we have to be, if we really sincere in terms of helping the young people, the one we got to do, we have to tell them the truth. And like I said before, if we don't do that. You know, the you know, you know, uh, formally in terms of inside the schools, then the very minimal thing you owe it to yourself and to the children. Do it outside the schools to make sure that certain information is given to these children. They have, they have to, because without that information, uh, certainly the ability for the children to formulate, you know, uh, you know, uh, which way forward, even the formulate the idea in terms of the importance of education, they have to have some follow, some solid frame of reference in terms of why education is important in the first place. So if they understand that education is important because theoretically you can at least fight back when you're educated, then kids understand, then they, they understand the importance of education, so they gravitate toward important education. But that has to be reinforced over and over again, and that can be done not in the schools. If you can't do it in the schools, you can at least do it outside of the schools. So I think we have to, you know, as, you know, as, administ- I mean, as educators, I think we have to realistically think, you know, when we tell these kids things that are disingenuous, when we lie to these children, then we gotta understand that there are repercussions, there are, there are deep repercussions, you know, when you lie to children. And and, and in final analysis, when you lie to them, is it really worth it? Because what you do is you undermine you know, you undermine your own community because, you know, what happens is that those kids don't simply, you know, um it doesn't simply we're, we're discussing school doesn't simply stay there. Those kids will talk to other kids and so it sort of spread. So once this idea spreads that teachers are all disingenuous, that they all lie 
that they're all praising these people that kill our people, then it would mean that those kids have no respect for people, you know, uh, who are a generation removed. So I think it's a very, very dangerous precedent we set as as educators, and we have to understand, you know, that it's a very complex problem that we're we're confronted with. But we have to be committed to, you know, one way or the other, making sure kids have access to proper information. We have no other course, no other choice, because we're we're, we're at war here. And to look at it as anything other than war, it's disingenuous. We have to understand that we are at war, and no matter how you slice it, if you're at war, then there is clearly an adversary that you that that, that that confronts you, and and confronting that adversary, then you have some strategy and tactics in terms of moving forward. Because without the strategy and tactics to move forward, then you can't win. It's that simple. So teachers have to become uh, in, engaged on one level or another. You know, Pavis, uh, last item of discussion under this subject: What's going on now? We're in the community. That was an interesting article that was written from RSN on August the 19th, 2019, titled Nobody Will Ever Believe the Official Story on Mr. Epstein. And I thought that was an interesting title. Cause before, I, before I even seen the article, when I first heard of the idea that he and this rich wealthy man committed suicide in prison, I'd be filthy wealthy, well-connected, you know, and then when I saw on the news that how they claimed that was his body and they took him out to prison, it looked like to me something could have been staged. This might have been something that was um, staged. And we know the rich and the wealthy and the powerful can do all kinds of things. We can't believe everything we see and hear. Are y'all drinking that Kool-Aid? Do y'all really believe this man killed and hung himself? Or maybe the deep state killed him? What is your perspective on this story? I'll start with you, Brother Anthony. Um, I'd, I'd, uh, I, th- I think it's dubious. Uh, as you indicated, he, he's, uh, he, he's very well connected. And, uh, and, and, and that's even more important than, than, than his wealth. You know, which are which are both uh, uh, forms of power in a capitalist society like this one, but the fact that he had those connections, and that this might be a setup just to, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, get the attention off of what he did, which was, uh, you know, really, uh, which uh, on a deep level is about the exploitation of women. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and I think, uh, you know, as, it, you know, if this, dra- uh, you know, gets dragged out, that'll come to light more and more. And, uh, and I think there was concern about that. So I think, uh, I think there's a possibility it could be, it, 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 it could be a setup in a way in order to deflect attention uh, off, uh, off issue, which was, which was uh, the fact that he had mastered his influence and wealth by, uh, by, by, by exploiting women. Brother Haki, where are you at with this issue of do you really believe this man committed suicide? Or could it pass <clears throat> this stage? You know, you know, brother Africa. You know, my thing is that you know, I, you know, it's it's questionable. See, one of the things is that 
you know, you have someone who's kind of high profile in prisons. Normally, they're, you know, they're under suicide watch because, number one, you're putting enormous amount of pressure to them. These people are not used to that kind of pressure. And so, therefore, what happens normally, they're, they're under surveillance. And the mere fact that they're telling me that he, he wasn't under surveillance, he was able to hang himself, for me, raised some red flags. So I'm very, very suspicious. But, you know, Brother Africa, I'm mindful of the fact that back in the 80s, there was a, you remember Kenneth Lake? Uh, the guy who ran Enron. I remember uh, he was facing prison time for, for numerous charges in terms of financial fraud. Well, interestingly enough, the day before he was due to start his sentence, he supposedly died as well. Well, here's the irony. There was, there was nobody, nobody could, def- the, 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 no one could report on the, the, the conditions under which he died. Uh, he just disappeared. He was dead, and that was, that was the end of the story. That was it. So clearly, you know, when we talk about the kind of power that these people have, uh, clearly Jeffrey Epstein had tremendous clout. I mean, he was connected to some of the most powerful people on the on the planet, and so therefore, you know, they can simply have they simply have the will to do any damn thing they want to do, and so they want to simply ensure that he doesn't do any 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 any, any prison time for if nothing more than to expose all those powerful people who would you know messing with those those little girls. Uh, I could see them creating a way in which, you know, they would get him out of prison where he goes somewhere on a different identity, you know, maybe in plastic surgery, a different identity, uh, you know, living his life. So I'm sort of suspicious in terms of this, this, this whole drama, Brother Africa. I, I don't think that he hung himself. I really don't. Because I'm still waiting to see the body. I'm just, I, don't need to, I want to see the media talk to some people who actually seen this, you know, who actually confirmed that he, was died. he, di- he died. That's what I'm waiting to see. I haven't seen it thus far. In the case of Kenneth Lay. Uh, none of that information was ever presented. They simply said he killed himself, and that was the end of the story. So I'm very suspicious about the Africa, but I wouldn't put it past these people in terms of doing that because they, they, they're very, I mean, their definition is very, very clear. We're wealthy and we're powerful. We do any damn thing we want to do, and that's, that's superimposed upon a system which says that virtue of your wealth, you pretty much run things. So I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised at all for them to you know, fabricate some story about him hanging himself when we have this guy somewhere in the world you know, living his life. So... I'm waiting to see what happen what happens in the next, next next couple of days in terms of by way of information about Africa. Well, this guy has his own private island, where nobody live on it but him and his crew. So he has all kind of possibilities where he could just disappear out of the public, and you never would know. Brother Moses, are you drinking the Kool Aid? Do you think the brother hung his? Well, I think, I think I think it's a very difficult situation. It's full of contradiction. Um, but the bottom line is you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And public sentiment has been has been growing on this issue, uh, the Me Too movement, et cetera. And, uh, and so this is a very, very uh, uh, delicate situation for the ruling class. And, uh, and they have to throw every now and then they have to throw somebody under the bus in order to quell the masses. And uh, and he, it was obvious that he he was getting thrown under the bus. I mean, I mean, he he could not do everything that he would he is accused of doing without organization, without other people conspiring and uh, and colluding with him. And so this is a way to get them off the off the hook too by. Um, by you know his death uh uh would would uh you know the case might just get dropped and, and go nowhere uh but you know there's a lot of people involved in this and and uh, this is just the tip of the iceberg 
And I think, you know, it's possible that, that he could have seen the, the, that, you know, you know, that, that uh, Bill Cosby and, uh, and other people are getting, you know, not being able to, to withstand public scrutiny and, uh, and the ruling class's uh, decision to get rid of some people and uh, make them examples, scapegoats for the the, the quell the situation. And so he might have looked at it and said, "It looks very dim in his future and very you know dim future." And and that might have got to him. I don't know, but uh, you know, all, there's a lot of possibilities. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. You know, you know, brother Africa. You know, brother Africa. Well, you know, one of the things, uh, real quickly. Yeah, one of the things, real quickly. Uh, one of the things you talk about the power of, of power of these people with wealth. Uh, one of the things you know, recently, well, not recently, but in the past, uh, you know, um, the FBI talked about the fact there was an organization, uh, the North American Man Boy Love Association, called NAMLA, and this is a supposedly, allegedly, a group of very wealthy, very powerful people who operate above the law. And to date, not a single member of this group has been brought to justice in terms of, you know, of perpetuating pedophilia around the world. So clearly, you know, when we talk about wealth and, and all that means, you know, in, in the Western context, these people are clearly free to do what the hell they want to do when they want to do it. And there's, there are no repercussions because they're above the law. They have wealth. They have power. They're above the law. Law is for poor people. Law is not for them. So clearly we got a problem in terms of disparity in terms of, you know, how laws get enforced. And so for this guy, uh, and, and as I said before, you know, when I talked about Kenny Lay of Enron, keep in mind this guy was a good friend of, of the pre- then-President George Bush, so-called W. Uh, he was a good friend of his, and which he referred to him as Kenny Boy. Uh, it was very, very interesting, you know, that when he, when he died a day before his sentence was due, uh, you know, there was, that, was the end of, that was the end of discussion. It simply made, made, made a statement, he killed himself, and that's that. You know, know, know how he did it. No, when he did it, where he did it, none of that. It's just that he killed himself. That's in a story, and and you know, and many many years later, there hasn't been a peep in terms of whatever happened happened to Kenneth Lay, which suggests to me that those people in Jesus of power know damn well what happened to Kenneth Lay, and that the understanding was all part of orchestrated uh, rules, you know, by those missing the power to simply conceal, you know, his existence on this planet. So. I'm not surprised by anything they do, Brother Africa. I'm not surprised at all. So if this guy is the, the recipient, you know, of uh, you know, um, of, of wealth, uh, you know, you know, uh, getting him out of prison, concealing who he is, uh, making it possible for him to live his life, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, you know, one is there's a connection between those type of powerful people doing what they want to do and the disappearance. Over thirty to forty thousand African women in the last four or five years it has been reported, even by their statistics, that you have thirty to forty thousand African women and children have gone missing, and nobody know where they're at. Now that's a large number for one particular group of people to be missing, and no one know where they're at. How could that be? Somebody knows, but this is the reality that we live in, and. We got to find a way to organize ourselves to figure out how to protect ourselves. That is clear. By the way, panel, this job well done. We're gonna pause for this cause. When we come back, we're gonna talk about our thing. This is how they do it. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the moon. <laughs> 
government. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state and people, well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become necessary in human society. You know how we think, organize the hood under our chain banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live, able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the welcome to a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that, corporations hiring blacks. Denying the fact, exploiting us all over the map That's why I write the shit I write in my rap It's documented, I meant it Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in ones, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's C-Lo for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution You have this blackmail, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice and the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We living in a police state Articles deal with 
how applicable he is not receiving his taxes. Brother Haki, we'll start out with you on this one. What is about applicable and impact of them not receiving their taxes? How is this game being played? And I think it's important because it goes to the crutch of the, 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 crutch of the reality in terms of how Africa is still economic dependent uh, on many other uh, Western nations. But we can see how they do it, how they continue to oppress the continent of Africa, African people. And one of the ways is around this question of taxes. Why is it that Africa is not receiving its fair share of taxes? What games are being played, Brother Hackey? Well, you know, un- un- unfortunately, the colonial legacy of, you know, Africa relationship with um, Western nations persists. And, you know, the thing is that, you know, you know, uh, you know, Africa, you know, um, the neocolonial struggles uh, have been, you know, uh, waged in Africa. Now the struggle for real power has to take place. And I, I think that unless you have African leaders, you know, first and foremost, who are willing to work together to create a different paradigm, uh, to create a, 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 a system in which, you know, the true empowerment of Africa can take place. Western nations will continue to, you know, to manipulate and, and abuse Africa, particularly when it comes to economics. Uh, of course, and one of the things we can't underscore enough, and I, I, you know, I have to be very honest about this, when we talk about in terms of level of corruption among so many African leaders, you know, there's no question there's a problem in terms of corruption among African leaders. And, I, you, know, I, you know, I hate saying that. You know, I wish it wasn't so. But clearly, in terms of uh, these relationships with the West, it's advantageous to a few Africans uh, to be- persist in these kind of relationships in which Africa is being screwed, you know, financially. But in terms of the particular question that you're asking for the Africa, I think one of the things is that, you know, in this particular article, when they talk about the fact that, um, you know, have these offshore accounts, of course, one of the reasons why you have offshore accounts is to make sure to get out paying taxes. And so what happens is that, you know, by, you know, by, you know, taking Africa, you know, the, 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 the by taking the wealth of Africa and placing the offshore accounts, uh, what happens is that there are no taxes being paid once it's transferred off offshore. And so what happens is when they, when, they, when that money is invested throughout the world in terms of in terms of investment, uh, you know, Africa doesn't benefit one iota. In fact, when you raise the question of taxes, they say, well, the problem is that there can be no question of taxes because what happens is that you know the money from Africa went right to this offshore account, and so therefore any time any question of question of taxes will be dealt on that level. But the problem is that the taxes are never dealt on that level. Only on paper are those taxes dealt on this level. So what happens is that they talk about a situation where they, they don't want to question in terms of, you know, anybody being double taxed when they invest in Africa. Well, Africa is not, it's not a question of being, being, being double taxed. It's a question of Africa being robbed twice. And so that's the fundamental problem in terms of but it's all part of a global system. And so, like I say, unless you have a unified, socially strong Africa, then I'm afraid this kind of uh, phenomenon will continue to persist. And when we talk about the fact that Africa lose up to, you know, $100 billion minimum a year in terms of these kind of schemes, clearly, you know, Africa is hurting. But unless African leaders get together and formulate, you know, a united front in terms of creating a strong, economic, socially independent Africa, then Africa is going to be, you know, subject to the whims of the West. And keep in mind, no Western nation has the interests of Africa at heart. Africa is simply seen as a means to an end. So, therefore, if you can export Africa, you know, for its resources, then so be it. If you can export Africa for its land, then so be it. If you can export Africa for its commodities, then so be it. 
And so clearly it's up to Africa to unify in terms of preventing this kind of thing. Because I don't think anything short of the unification of Africa is going to stop that. Because And also I think one other thing real quickly about Africa I conclude, also the question in terms of the, 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 the relationships, financial relationships, these, these agreements that these African leaders signed, oftentimes these agreements stipulate, you know, that the, the Western governments have the option to choose how investments can, can be used. So in a situation where someone invests in, let's say, Nigeria, right? They will turn around and tell Nigeria, okay, we'll give you the we'll give you X number of hundreds of millions, but you only can use it for this purpose. After that, Nigeria wouldn't be free in terms of using those monies for, the, for in terms of investing in infrastructure and the kind of things it needs to do for a citizenry. The West would dictate how the money should be used, which again is a benefit to the West and not to 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 Africa. In this particular, in this particular case, Nigeria. So clearly, Brother Africa, unless it's a strong unified Africa, I don't see this this kind of practice happening, uh, stopping. So it's up to African leaders to get together to to, to prevent this from happening. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, I can read a few paragraphs from this article. I'd just like to respond to this question well on the impact of Africa not receiving the taxes, how it has an impact on African development. It talks about they have over 200,000 files leaked from a love firm in Indian Ocean Tax Haven to the International Custodium of Investigative Journalists. And it shared with courts and others that the document have one overreaching theme, big Western multinationals raping as much profit as possible from India and Africa then depriving their governments of tax revenue through extraordinary accounting conditions. Talk about that, Brother Anthony, from your perspective. Again, why is Africa is not rich today in terms of financial resources, in terms of this whole question of paper money? Um, because the, uh, the world's economy is dominated by imperialism, especially since the collapse of, uh, uh, you know, of the so, uh, of most of the socialist bloc of countries, and uh, Africa, uh, 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 when African nations got their nominal independence, they did not, they did not, uh, they failed to uh, achieve political unification. And it's politics that uh, uh, that really dic- dictates economics ultimately. And uh, as Haki stated, nothing short of uh, political unification will put an end to this uh, this sort of exploitation. And uh, it shows one of the damages caused by neocolonialism, which is running rampant in Africa. Uh, the political leadership uh, in Africa is corrupt, and uh, Kwame Ture used to point out that uh, that that the African bourgeoisie is the filthiest in the world, and uh, and 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 this ar- article shows that that they will that they will betray the interests of uh, of the mass of the people. For uh, uh, you know, for uh, you know, for for resources in their own pockets, and um, 
and the, and this and this is uh, occurring because uh, without political integration, real economic integration and control of Africa's resources will not revert to the masses of African people, which is why Pan-Africanism has to be built from the bottom up, can't be built uh, uh, from the top down, which is what, um, you know, which is what some leaders did try to do. But because of the level of corruption, uh, the current political leadership is not capable of bringing about Pan-Africanism. You know, Brother Moses, when you read this article, what kind of feelings were conjured up from within when you read this article? I understand the present reality of Africa, and here's another game in terms of this is how they do it. This is how they continue to support our people. What were some of the things came, feelings came to you as you read this article? Well, it's, you know, it's... Uh it's uh, another example of neo-colonialism. Uh, um, nominally, Africa is is independent. Uh, there's black faces in government, but uh, when the when the system of worldwide imperialism, you know, is able to um, manipulate the the tax systems. And uh, with the offshore tax havens, et cetera, uh, this uh, Ponzi game or some kind of nutshell game where you you, you look under the net, under the shell and it's, the money's not there. Um, 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 they they uh, the 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 way it works, I guess, is. That people uh, you know invest in Africa and get products and uh, services out of Africa, but then then uh, the accounting system is is not internal to Africa. Uh, somehow they they take the 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 books and uh, put them on a, on an offshore accounts and. And 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 the sovereignty of Africa is violated, uh, and and uh, the accounting is done such that uh, uh, it doesn't it doesn't show that the the economic activities that that were done in Africa and should be taxed is somehow is manipulated so that uh, is is. Is um is manipulated so that it's like they ruined him there in the first place. Uh, uh, it's like it's like they didn't really do you know get the the goods and services out of Africa, but somehow they they were doing it uh, in a, in a, in another country, so to speak, uh, and so. The, the goods and services that should be taxed aren't being taxed. Uh, it's it's a it's a accounting problem. Uh, 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 that, as, as the brother said, politics determines economics, and so you know um, this is 
it's it's a they they said eight miles documents were among a trove of some two hundred thousand confidential records belonging to the former Mauritius office of Bermuda based offshore law firm Kanye Deals and Penham that was 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 leaked to the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists and shared with dozens of journalists around the world. Um the 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 uh, it provides a glimpse into the how foreign companies and investors have been able to take advantage of the former French colonies tax code to profit at the expense of the very places funds that um well this the the Gardorf the Gardorf is um is one of the one of the uh the suspects in this in this um the exploited system um he takes advantage of the the loopholes and uh and he's able to get away without paying taxes and so i don't know it's 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 explained better in this article and and i I can't do it justice i don't think in terms of my explanation i uh, but I suggest people read the article. Thank you. Thank you, Brother. Can I ask something, Brother Africa? Uh, yes, Brother Africa. Sure. Uh, the implications of that of uh, of Africa being robbed, of African countries being robbed of this tax revenue, is that they don't have the resources necessary uh, for infrastructure development. And also to maintain, uh, you know, the educational uh, and, uh, and 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 other uh, uh, you know public welfare systems. And uh, and and this keeps uh, the African countries poor and impoverished. And uh, so this so 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 and this. Is and this maneuver is characteristic of uh, of, of capitalism, and uh, and only uh, and only uh, and only a, a strong unified Africa could put an end to it. And to answer your point, Anthony, this question about migration of Africans trying to go into Europe, this is one of the consequences of it that they don't talk about. When you talk about um, that particular phenomenon, so Brother Haki, now they said the scandal highlights effort led by India to change global tax rules and force multinationals to pay tax. Well, the economic activity is actually happening. Now, we know these account procedures. If these account procedures are not structural or rules not made to benefit you, what's difficult for African countries to look? Well, here on out, all economic activities that take place in this country, you pay your taxes here. What's the difficult, difficulty for them not taking that position? The problem, Brother Africa, is one of agreements. I mean, when they agree to certain terms in terms of you know, allowing these multinationals in their countries, they set up their terms in terms of how those multinationals would operate. 
And one of the agreements is that, you know, the Baltic nationals will not be interfered with in terms of their autonomy, that they know best in terms of how to go about, you know, uh, making money. And so, therefore, that process shouldn't be impeded, you know, by any kind of, over, you know, overzealous African involvement. So clearly, you know, you know, there's a structural problem, Brother Africa. And I, I think, too, you know, one of the things I think is important we point out is that when we talk about the structural problem, we talk about the role in terms of, you know, how banks get taxed. You know, often, you know, we heard a term in terms of capital gains, and, you know, often, you know, capital gains simply is, is simply stated is the difference between what you what it costs to produce something and what you sell it for. The difference is the capital gains, and that amount is taxed. And so, therefore, Africa's down in a position in terms of rules of the game to actually even question multinationals in terms of, you know, the use of their resources, you know, how, how much resources they use and how much they, 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 they sell them for. So it's a, it's a fundamental problem. So Africa have to be adamant in terms of taking a stand, you know, that we no longer will participate, you know, in this kind of thievery. Uh, you know, whether or not that's going to happen in our lifetime remains to be seen. But one thing that's encouraging is the fact that increasingly more and more Africans, at least on a, on a general level, are talking about, you know, actually facilitating trade among each other, among the African continent. Maybe that's the first step in terms of moving toward, you know, uh, you know really, you know, being you know uh, being in a position to actually oversee you know the economic gains you know uh, you know by these corporations these mega corporations that exist in Africa we'll wait and see uh, but one thing is clear you know Africa possesses a lot of leverage in terms of being able to overcome a lot of these obstacles because like I said before you know Africa is there's a struggle there's, there's, there's a there's a immense struggle in terms of uh, there's a pursuit, strong pursuit of you know people trying to do business in Africa. Africa is is, is is Africa is so important to every country in the world, and so therefore Africa is in a winning seat. So all it has to do is to act like it's in a winning seat and begin to foment policy and strategy to ensure to make sure that their interests come to fruition. Uh, and that is a very difficult thing because the question turns to corruption, and, and, and unfortunately, you know, to the extent that Western the African leaders have embraced Western ideology. Uh, in terms of how to do business or embrace capitalism as a somehow universal savior. To the extent they embrace that kind of foolishness uh, sort of underscores why they're committed to, in terms of participating with the West, even though the West uh, is manipulating them and extorting them, you know, full time. So clearly, you know, it's, it's only, the onus is on African leaders, you know, in terms of creating infrastructure to put place those demands, even to the extent where you tell them, tell Western nations, no more business as usual. To the extent that you operate in this country, it's all above board, and we're going to be intimate part of that process. We're going to we're going to watch everything you do, and if that's too much for you, you know what? Pack your stuff and get out. Uh, you know, and the whole thing is that you know, I'm mindful, you know, of West Africa. When we look at something like West Africa, and we talk about whole West African economy being tied to the French, the audacity of West African leaders, you know, to give their money, their hard-earned resources, you know, to the French. To, to France, I, I, it's, for me, it's unbelievable that even in the 21st century, they still abiding by that agreement, as opposed to telling the French, okay, you want to take a few, the few, uh, the few things that you built in West Africa, take them and leave. We'll develop from not, we'll develop from scratch. They won't do that because the whole class argument, the whole desire in terms of the pursuit of things and and and, and understanding the Western position to give them things, to give them money, that they're willing. To forego the interests of their of their people, the interests of their country, for material gain. So this corruption, this mindset among African leaders has to change. Uh, you know, and, and one of the difficult things about it, you know, they got a lot of bright, intelligent, 
young Africans, you know, who understand the contradictions, who would love to be in power in terms of trying to bring about a change to this. But the governments in Africa watch their citizenry very, very closely. And any young African who they'll stand up and proclaim that no more business as usual, that things got to change, find themselves either arrested or killed. So this is the problem that we're confronted with in Africa in terms of trying to bring about gentleman change. But until the leadership of Africa changes, you know, to be much more progressive, much more revolutionary, these situations are not going to change, brother, because when we talk about accounting, one thing we were very clear on, accounting, Western, particularly in a Western context, when we talk about accounting, it's always about how much you can exploit someone. It's always about that. It's never about, you know, uh, what can you do in terms of facilitating business. It's all about how can I best exploit you. And for them, that is the mark of success when it comes to business. It's not the terms of the business, you know, business, the value of business per se. It's how well I can exploit you. So if I'm making profit, lots and lots of profit, you know, uh, that's good. But if, 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 if I can make profit but I have to deal fairly, that's to be rejected. So clearly we got a philosophical problem in terms of, you know, how Western accounting operates in the first place. So clearly, African leaders must be involved in terms of the whole process. And so, so it'll be a long struggle. It's a protracted struggle, and it'll be a long and difficult one because the corruption is deep. And, and, and you know, as a matter of fact, I'm going to the last thing about the African, and I conclude, you know, in, in Nigeria, where uh, the um, uh, Imam um, Ibrahim uh, Zazaki, uh, and he's trying, he raised the question in terms of corruption in Nigeria. Well, of course, when you raise the question, the question of corruption in Nigeria, then you know what's going to happen to you. Then you know you're going to be a pick. they're going to pick you up because they would not tolerate anybody exposing the reality in terms of the corruption that exists in that country. So clearly, you know, this question in terms of corruption is a big problem, and but it's going to take African leaders in terms of resolving that. If they don't resolve it, it won't get resolved because we can't unilaterally expect Western nations to 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 simply do that which is right, simply because the system's designed to do that which is wrong. So and there is no morality. It's all about cash. It's all about the bottom line. So that is the fundamental problem that African leaders are confronted with. Yeah, I do think part of the struggle is a question of consciousness among the people and the political will among the people because even when you look at your enemy, trading with your enemy, if you do what they do, at least you can say you're consistent. For example, um, the orange man, his argument with China is that Based upon past contractual agreements, it put the U.S. at a disadvantage. So, therefore, he wants to renegotiate the, the, the agreement. All agreements are not final. All agreements can be renegotiated. I think African nations should take the same position. Not only take the same position, but also take the position that, in terms of their account practices, Everything should be based upon the production they're done in that country. So um, I know it, it would be a struggle, but at some point in time, we got to start using our common sense, look at how the enemy does businesses, and there's some things we can take and be consistent, like they are. If we find out we have bad entry to bad contracts, we can say we want to renegotiate them, because that's what they do. Panelists, your response? Uh, Brother Africa, um, uh, let's see. I'm gonna, uh, I, I concur with all the points you made, and I want to follow up to something Haki stated, and that is there. There was one country 
that did exactly what Haki suggested, and that is uh, tell the French to uh, you know to take what uh, uh, you, you know uh, what, what what resources they built in Guinea and go home. And when Guinea uh, 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 voted no to staying in a, in the French Union, the French took everything they could out of Guinea. Or what they couldn't take out of Guinea, they destroyed it. And uh, so, so Guinea had to start from scratch. The other countries that were uh, that were that, that were French colonies voted to uh, to peg their currency to the French currency, which is how you got the CFA franc. And anyway. Uh, Anyway, in, in essence, they did not that they that the, the leadership uh, because they were so in bourgeois did not take an independent stance, and that's why uh, most of West Africa is dominated by by the French to this day. And uh, and uh, brother Africa, correct that uh, that they can't that that what can, uh, that if there there is a bad agreement, it can't be negotiated. But Afri- African countries in their present state do not have the political clout necessary to force that. Okay, panelists, yeah, we're going to do this with yeah, yeah. Yeah, Go ahead, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, real quickly, you know, one of the things that, you know, they, it's, it's funny, because one of the things the United States accused China of is currency manipulation. The irony is that no one manipulated the currency more than the United States. In fact, all this question around qualitative easing, when you print out all this money in terms of impact, the value of the money, socially affected interest rates, the U.S. has been doing that for a long, long time. So when you talk about currency manipulation, nobody does it more than the United States. But the mere fact that he's trying to force China, you know, into a, 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 into a position of, of weakness, it ain't going to happen. Uh, China is very focused in terms of what they have to do. I mean, they're way to struggle in terms of their liberation, and so they're not going to go backwards. So they understand what they have to do. They understand their principal adversary is the United States government. And the irony is, Brother Africa, no matter how much you talk about, you know, implementing tariffs against China, it doesn't penalize the Chinese government one iota, not not one iota. As a matter of fact, you're doing China a favor because China, with with its large population, has always wanted to focus more on its domestic economy as opposed to, you know, uh, focusing outwardly. So for them, you know, to focus on, you know, internal, you know, economics is more important than anything. So the U.S. is actually doing them a favor. So they're not hurting China. All they're doing, all the, the orange minutes are doing is hurting the consumers, hurting the, the farmers, hurting people in America, working-class people in America. That's all he's doing. But this notion is back that we're going we're gonna to bring China to our knees in terms of economic policy is all BS. China is the most powerful economic economic system on the planet. Not only that, it has the strongest it has the strongest the strongest military surpasses that of America. So therefore, the U.S. has no power in terms of really impacting China. The only thing they can do is talk. Now it's for public consumption. So his his, his people, you know, his his so-called uh, his, uh, his 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 uh, accolade, excuse me, his um um his um. His, his followers love when he can have that kind of talk. I mean, it sounds good. I mean, there's a certain amount of xenophobia affiliated with that kind of speak. 
but what he's saying does nothing in terms of impacting China's economy. Certainly does nothing in terms of impacting China politically. So clearly, you know, Brother Anthony is right. Uh, Africa at this point doesn't have that kind of power where they can say, okay, no matter you know, no matter what you do, can't impact us because right now, because the agreements that are signed with Western nations, and because of the relationship with with the U.S., uh, they're in a strategic position to impact. Uh, Africa and ensure that Africa does what it wants done. So it's going to take bold leadership. We we'll, we'll stand up and explain to people, to educate people in Africa, why certain actions have to happen. Which means that you're going to suffer, but that's a temporary thing. But it's something that we have to undertake in terms of being truly liberated and free. Okay, panelists. What we're going to do right now? We're going to take a quick station break. We're going to pause for the call. So when we come back. We're going, to actually, we're going to ask all of you to give your final thoughts for today's program. This is how they do it, part one, and we will continue part two in the near future. So we're going to take a station break, and we'll be right back, and you're listening to Africa on the Moon. Punish me, you could 
Somebody punish me. Make it land, they punish me. I read down for book you. I see some myself for you. Welly, welly, you. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. You're listening to Brother Fetal. And we're speaking to the issue of these international thieves. So this is how they do it. Right now, we are in the process of closing and closing their program for the day. And we'd like to make a special announcement to you to let you know next week, uh, Africa Moon will be having a special program. We'll be doing a program hosting Bob Brown, an organizer for the All African People Revolutionary Party in conjunction with the AAPRPGC, as well as working with his opening lynching book, Going God Makes No Slaves in the World will be the underground bookstore out of Chicago and the National Coalitions on Blacks for Reparation in America. The program will air next week from 5 to 7 Eastern Time and 4 to 6 Central Time. You can hear it on this program, and please dial in and check it out. He named the book is God Make No Slaves in Rome. It can talk about the trafficking trade in and enslavement of African people are and will crimes against humanity. The program takes place on Sunday, August 18th for 4 to 6 p.m. The Central Standard Time at the Underground Bookstore, 1787 East 87th Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60612. But you can hear it live next week on Africa on the Move from 5 to 7. So please put that there on your calendar for next week. Right now, what we want to do is we want to go, go to our closing remark. We are political analysts and panelists for the night. We start with Brother Moses. Your closing remark, please. Yeah, I I look forward to next week. Uh, Brother Bob Brown is a very very uh, educated person, and uh, he's he's definitely done some research and analysis on on reparations and the and our experience here in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, uh, so I, I encourage people to definitely be be online for that. Uh, also, I would be remiss if I didn't say something about uh, Kashmir, uh, Pakistan, India, and this Kashmir situation. Uh, I think, you know, it's a very uh, complex situation, but, but, you know, one of the laws was that uh, if you weren't from Kashmir, you couldn't buy land in Kashmir, and they ch- they're changing that law now, which opens up to open up to imperialism and other forces. Uh, anyway, I have a good week. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Afton, your final remarks for tonight. My final remarks for tonight is that that uh, imperialism t- uh, exploits Africans worldwide uh, by taking advantage of our disunity and disorganization, and that only a strong, unified, socialist Africa can solve all the problems facing African people worldwide. I urge everyone to join an organization that is struggling to achieve Pan-Africanism. Uh, you can find out more about the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, by visiting our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org 
for calling us at 202-239-2676. Thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contribution day program. And we go to Brother Hackey. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Hackey. Yeah, a couple of things real quickly. Uh, African Land Association was going to send their tour to Cuba. The trip takes place October 31st to November 6th. More information, give us a call, 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. We encourage people to go to Cuba and see for themselves firsthand why Cuba is such a dynamic place. Uh, the second thing in closing, Brother Africa, I simply say, you know, the, the writings on the wall, you know, no, we can ill afford, you know, not to understand precisely what's going on in the society. There are numerous implications in terms of what they've got planned, you know, for working people, in particular African people in the society. If we fail to heed those warnings, then we've got nobody to blame but ourselves. Uh, clearly, we're talking about the flow of history. And oftentimes we talk about when we look historically in these kind of situations where, you know, one group, you know, uh, commit mass murder against another group. And we understand clearly this has been a facet of history, you know, since the beginning of time. And so, therefore, it seems to me that understanding this reality, we got our work cut out for us. And if we are to truly minimize the number of potential casualties, then we have to get busy about in terms of creating institutions, you know, to combat, you know, the uh, injustice that's coming our way. And as always, Brother Africa, I encourage the audience, you know, to unravel the matrix. And uh, we'll um, see you in two weeks. All right. Thank you, Brother Haki, for your contribution for today's program. Again, I'd like to make two quick announcements. We'd like to say hello and best wishes to our sister, Sister Hattie. Uh, we spoke to her. She is on the road to recovery. She's doing well. We hope to have her back soon. We'd like to say hello to our sister and continue to get well. Sister Hattie, we love you. Second thing again, next week we'll be doing a special program from 5 to 5 to 7 Eastern Time and 4 to 6 Central Time. We'll be hosting a book release of a new book and a launch of a worldwide movement. The new release of the book is by is from Bob Brown, who is the organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party GC. The name of the book is God Make No Slaves in the Moon, The Trafficking Trade and in enslavement of African people are and were crime against humanity. There will be a live program in Chicago on Sunday, August the 18th, from 4 to 6 p.m. at the Underground Bookstore, 1787 East 87th Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60612. For more information, call the bookstore at 773-768-8869. And for Africa on the Move, if you have any comments or questions, please email us at Africa on the Move, email two, or the number two, Africa on the Move, number two at gmail.com. We'd like to thank you for allowing us the means and the and ability to come into your homes and speak to you. And we'd like to share with you that, remember, this is your station. We're right here for you. If you have any ideas, any issues that are important to our people, daily struggles, Please contact us, and we'd love to have you on as a guest. So until next time, we'll see you next week. Remember, we come on two hours earlier from 5 to 7. And like always, let's continue to scribe to go apple, backwards levels. This has been Africa on the Move. This is how they do it. We thank you for listening.
Thank you. 